At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. So, uh, as was stated, we're, we're kicking off a new series today, and it's entitled Church Why Bother? Church Why Bother? And like every series, there is an impetus, there is a, an origin story, there's a reason for the series, and I want to share that with you for this particular series. In many ways, it started back in 2021. Now, I read a lot of news. How many out there, by the show of hands, follow the news really closely? Right? How many by a show of hands follow the news too closely? All right, that's true of many of us. And I read a lot of headlines, uh, but not every headline is compelling. Not every story captures my attention, but there are certainly those headlines that I just kind of pump the brakes. I stop and I say, man, I got to go deeper and to see what this is talking about. Such was the case in March of 2021 when the Gallup Research and Polling Organization published a, a new report. How many have heard of Gallup before? I mean, if I heard of Gallup, all right. So they keep their finger on the pulse of what's happening in American life and culture. Well, here was the headline for the Gallup report. It says, U.S., America, U.S. church membership falls below majority for the first time. U.S. church membership or church participation in this country for the first time in March of 2021 fell below 50%. To be exact, it was 49% of Americans at that point, probably lower now, 49% said, yeah, I'm a part of a local church, I'm a member of a local church. Now, you may not think that that's, that's um, earth-shattering, groundbreaking, or, or, or too monumental, but let me just share, they have been tracking this number since 1937. And for about six decades, that number hovered at about 70%, a little bit higher, and it was strongly stagnant. In other words, it was a stubborn number. It was not budging. Americans uh, for about six decades in the uh, the 1900s said, yes, we participate in church, we go to church, we attend church. But over the last several decades, last couple of decades, there's been a dramatic drop. And the number becomes even more stark when you break out for generational segmentation. For example, only 36% of millennials say that they're a member of a local church or they attend a local church. Friends, that to me seems like an entire generation is asking a really important question that we need to take seriously and give an answer to. And here's the question, church, why bother? Why, why bother? Why get plugged in? And maybe you know someone who's going through a process of, of deconstruction, what's been popularly called deconstruction. Or maybe you know somebody who's decided that they're going to do DIY spirituality, their own kind of spirituality that's disconnected from any sense of biblical authority or any connection to uh, church leadership, just kind of doing it on their own. Or maybe you know somebody who, because of COVID and the pandemic, had their rhythms of church attended disrupted, and they never have gotten back to those good habits again. 
But let me get even more personal. Maybe it's not a question that you are are, uh, hearing friends or family members voice. Maybe it's your question. You know, you'd be amazed at how many even church leaders have on their journey of following Jesus have wrestled with the question, church, why bother? I remember going through that in, in a season of my own life and it came after a significant uh, moment of church hurt. Anybody ever experienced church hurt by the show of hands? If you have, just say ouch. You don't even gotta say amen, just say ouch. Many of us have gone through church hurt and I went through a, a season of church hurt and on the other side of that church hurt, I wasn't questioning Jesus. I wasn't questioning my faith and trust in the gospel as much as I was questioning the relational risk of the church. Church, why bother? Is it worth it? And it was in that moment of my life where God graciously reminded me of the value and the importance of the church, the blessing of the family of faith, the blessing of the covenant community that we call the church. And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to dive deep into the word of God. Because how many know that when we're processing big questions, in life that the best place to go is to the Word of God. How many believe that with me? That this Bible is inspired, inerrant, infallible, and it holds the words of life. So that's where we're going to go, and we're going to journey through 1 Timothy. So can you join me there? 1 Timothy chapter 1. Today I just want to do a real quick introduction into this, this series, Church, Why Bother?, now, now, a little bit about this that I want to just make sure I drive home is that this is one of what has classically been called three pastoral epistles. Now, epistle is a theological word that just means letter. These are, these, this is one of three letters that Paul wrote to pastors, namely Timothy, he wrote two letters to, and Titus, he wrote another, and both of these young pastors were protégés of his. Now, we're going to learn a lot about Timothy as we go deeper into this study, but he was from a small city called called Lystra, and uh, he had uh, parents that were, one was Greek, his father was Greek, and his mother was Jewish. And that's significant because that tells me that Timothy knew the Torah or what we would call the Old Testament. He knew the scriptures well. As a matter of fact, we don't have time to go there now. But in 2 Timothy 1 and 5, Paul commends Timothy and he says, that same faith I saw in your mother and in your grandmother. His mama was named Lois. His grandmama was named Eunice. He said, that same faith I see in them, I see also in you because you know the scriptures and you're living them out. But Paul, who had spent the first eight years of his faith in Christ, from what we would call A.D. uh, 48 to about A.D. 56, he spent his, his first eight years 
doing missionary journeys, three missionary journeys where he traveled about 10,000 miles helping to start new churches, right? And one of the churches he started was in a city called Ephesus. You can read about it in Acts 18 to Acts 20. He started this new church called Ephesus, and he planted, he left leaders there, but then after he left, some false teachers start coming in and start planting seeds of doubt among the people, and this is what's happening in our culture today as well. There's a lot of seeds of doubt that is coming from false philosophies that are causing a lot of people to wonder, church, why bother? And so he sends Timothy there, and he says, Timothy, I want you to pastor, help to weed out the false teaching, and help people to fall in love with the gospel again, fall in love with the truth again, so they can faithfully follow Jesus and spread the gospel. And how many want that to be true of our church as well? This deep love for Jesus, his truth, and the spreading of his name and his fame. Well, before he gets into any type of apologetic for the church, if you will, he first starts by defining what the church is. And I want to just give you a definition of the church. Here's my headline today of what the church is, and then we're going to break it down into its various parts. But here's what the church is. The church is a family. I love that. The church is a family that upholds the truth and spreads the gospel. I love this. The church is a family that upholds the truth and spreads the gospel. You may wonder, Chris, where do you get that definition from? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the word. All right, chapter one, verses one and two. Let's look at how he opens up because now he's gonna give us these three characteristics that I'm using to comprise this definition of what the local church is. That the church is more than a voting block. That the church is more than a social club. The church is more than just an appointment that we hope to keep a couple times a year. That the church is far more than just going to see your tax preparer once a year and you could check it and say, I did it. How many believe the church is more than those things? How many believe that? And if the church is only that, then it's not worth it. If all we are is a voting block, if all we are is a social club, if all we are is some type of appointment or a building, then it's not worth it. But if we are more than that, so much more than that, then it is not only worth it now, but into eternity. And I believe that's what Christ came to establish when he established the local church. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I just picture it, friends. When I read scripture, it's a multi-century experience for me. I try not to just read it. I want to step into it. I want to picture Paul writing, this elder statesman. I want to, I want to sense the moment that he's in and he's writing to Timothy. Now, just like our current letters have um, a structure to them, ancient letters had a structure to them. And it's easy to read this and to think these are almost 
forgive me, throwaway verses, that these are almost just some standard introduction. And in some ways, that would be true. Now, our modern letters go a little bit like this. Dear so-and-so. So typically, we start by saying some term of endearment, and then we introduce who the recipient is. And then we give the body of the letter. And then we close with who the letter is from. Love, Chris, or you put your name. Now, how many are old enough to remember when we wrote letters? How many are old enough to remember that? How many are old enough to remember when we wrote them, put them in a thing called an envelope, put a stamp on them, and mailed them? How many remember that, right? Me and my wife have been together for a long time, and we were in the mid-90s. We were just dating at the time, and I remember writing letters to her while she was at college, and she's writing letters to me, and one day we're going to get married and have a family and all these warms and fuzzies and all that stuff. And it's interesting because we've kept some of those letters, right? So there was a day and age where people didn't just text each other. They actually wrote letters. Well, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. But this, my friends, is no standard greeting. Now, in structure, in some ways it is. A Greco-Roman letter started out with who uh, the uh, author was, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, right? Right? who the recipient was, Timothy, and then uh, a term of endearment or some salutation of affection, and then the body of the letter. That's how a Greco-Roman letter went. But Paul does something far deeper. He begins to describe who God is. And look at the term that he uses. He's not just God. He says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, I know who I serve, by the command of God, who is our what? Who is our what? Come on, that's not a trick question. That's the easiest question on today's quiz. God, our Savior. It's an open book quiz. You can look right there, right? God, our Savior. Now that echoes back to the Old Testament. That echoes back to the Torah. And the high point of the story of Israel, Israel's national story, was this thing called the Exodus. It was when they were slaves in Egypt and they were rescued out of Egypt. It was God who was their savior who rescued them. Now, some of you may say, well, I know a little bit about that story, Pastor Chris, and I thought it was Moses who rescued them. Now, Moses was certainly a servant that was commended by Israel and certainly should be commended by us for, as the Bible says, being a faithful servant in the Lord's house. But if you read to Exodus, what becomes very clear is that Moses was just a spokesperson for God. He was the one that went to Pharaoh on God's behalf to say, Pharaoh, let my people, let my people go. That's what he said. But who was it that sent the plagues? Not Moses, it was God. Who was it that hardened hearts? Not Moses, it was God. Who was it that parted the Red Sea? Not Moses, it was Who brought Israel through on dry land? Not Moses, it was So who was Israel's savior? Not Moses, it was God. God is our savior. But by saving Israel, through which the Messiah comes, who would later save the world, this was no localized truth. This was something that we all should celebrate. So Timothy, celebrate the fact that God is your savior. 
As a matter of fact, I don't know if Timothy could get by the introduction of Paul's letter without having a praise break. Have you ever been reading the Bible and it got so good to you that you said, Lord, I got to put it down for a moment just to give you praise, glory, and honor? Has that ever happened to you? If it hasn't, you're not reading it right. There should be moments where you just say, God, you are so good. What I just read, if it is true, you are so good, then I got to praise you. But he didn't just call God our Savior, but he said that Jesus is our what? Jesus, again, not a tough question, friends. Jesus is our what? He's our hope. Jesus is our hope. Now, some of you got half credit for that one, but that's all right. Jesus is our hope. Now, that echoes back to the Old Testament as well. Because Israel, in all of their journey, when they went through seasons of captivity, oppression, slavery, where they suffered in this world, there was a hope that Moses uh, actually told them was coming. Another one like him whose words would bring life, that they must believe this Messiah was coming. And that was their hope. The hope of Israel was the Messiah was coming. The hope of Israel is that one day there will be one who would come anointed by God to make all that is wrong right and what, what Paul wanted Timothy to know is that we're not waiting for that hope of Israel to come. He has come because Christ has come. Jesus Christ is the hope of Israel, but not just the hope of Israel, but the hope of all who will believe in him throughout the world. How many thank God that Jesus is our hope? That means... That means that you and I don't have to go through a broken, messed up, and fallen world without hope. Now, I don't care where you fall on the worldview spectrum today, whether you believe in Jesus or not. The one thing we agree on is that this world is pretty messed up. How many can say amen to that? All you got to do is look around you. Look at the violence around us. Look at what's happening to the generation around us. Look at the rise of confusion, identity crises, depression, anxiety, divorce, the breakdown of the family. I could go on and on and on about addiction and all of these things. There is brokenness in the world. But there's two types of people. Those who journey through this world without hope and those who journey through this world with hope. And praise God for those who have found Jesus. You have an anchor of hope that can hold you down during the storm. No matter how strong the winds blow, how many here say, I still have hope? No matter how tough things get, how many can say, I still have hope? The reason why I sing, the reason why I can praise, the reason why I celebrate today is because hope is alive, because Jesus is alive. Amen? And so Paul gives this glorious introduction, but then he gives us the first indication of what the church is through the language he uses to describe Timothy. Timothy is not just a disciple, is he? Timothy is not just a servant, is he? He uses familial language. He describes Timothy, verse number two, as my what? true child in the faith. Because of our faith in Christ, we are more than strangers. We are more than acquaintances. We are more than friends. We are brothers and sisters. We are family. Somebody say that with me. We are family. 
You may say, well, we got different mamas and different fathers and uh, different last names and all of those things, but there's something that makes us family that's greater than blood. You know, one of the sweet things, I'm a parent, I'm a dad, and uh, I got six kids, five here, one in heaven, but the first three of my children were all through adoption. And one of the sweet things about being an adoptive parent, if you are, you know what I'm talking about, is when you're in that court and that judge says you are now family forever, even though you came from two different trees, two different bloodlines, now you got something that holds you together forever. And what Paul wants us to know is that you may be a Brooks for a season while you're here on earth, but you're a part of the family of Christ forever and into eternity. And if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, guess what? Forever and into eternity, you and I are family. You are stuck with me. Right? There's nothing we can do. We are family together, and we should see one another through that lens. Like, the church should not be this collection of disconnected people, but we should see one another through the lens of forever family because that's who we are. Timothy, you are not just my servant. You are not just a disciple. You are not just a friend. You are more than an acquaintance. Timothy, you are my true son in the faith. You and I are right to refer to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So the first characteristic, the prevailing characteristic of our definition of the church given to us in scripture is that the church is a family. Turn with me real quickly to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I want you to see verses 15 through 17. When you're there, say a big amen. All right, three of you said it, so I feel good to go. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verse number 15. You'll see it on the screen as well. It says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Again, another reason for a praise break, friends, is that you are not only children of God, but if you're children, you're heirs. Heirs of all the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen to those who are in Christ. So that means that as we're reading scripture, every time we see a promise that is for the believer, we can rejoice and celebrate in that because that promise is ours in Christ. How many can say amen to that? All right, so what else are we? Well, turn to chapter three with me real quickly. We are a family, but we also are those who model and confess the truth. Look at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God 
which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Notice how Paul refers to the church here. These by far are the most intimate verses of this entire letter. Most of this letter is gonna be Paul giving Timothy instructions for others. This is what you're to preach to others. This is what you're to say to others. But this one is different. These verses is Paul saying, man, I wanna be with you. I long to be there with you. And not only you, but the other brothers and sisters in Ephesus as well. Now, there's a whole lot of background to that that I can't get into right now, but if you read chapter 20 of Acts, uh, of the book of Acts, you'll see that when Paul left Ephesus after starting that church, it was with deep tears and weeping because they thought they would never see him again. So their hearts were broken. And here Paul is saying to Timothy, there's a chance I can get to come see you, and I'm longing for that. But until I come, if I should delay, I want to tell you how you need to behave in the house of God as a young leader. But notice how he describes the church. He doesn't describe the church as an organization, does he? He describes the church as a household. Again, family language. I am convinced through and through with every fiber of my being that Paul saw the church as a family. That's why even when he's talking about the qualifications for a leader, and we're going to look at that in a few weeks, even when he's talking about that, he compares it to how a person conducts themselves in their home. Because he's saying this is a family. And friends, I want to apologize if that's not how the church has been for you. But I also want to challenge, if I could, that the way you approach the church is often the way that you experience the church. And if you haven't approached the church as a family, you probably haven't experienced it that way. And so often when we stand before you and we say things like, hey, join a life group, it can seem like just another announcement. But really what it is, is an invitation, not even from us, an invitation from heaven to be a part of the family. Get plugged into the family. When you experience this thing called the church as a family, you will never question it again. Yeah, there'll be hurts, there'll be pains, people are human, all of us are fallen, all of us are broken, some more than others, and I'm not looking at anybody. But the fact is, we're not perfect. But when you experience as a family, it ministers to the deepest part of who you are because that's who God called us to be. But not just a family. Notice what he says. He says that the church is the church of the living God. God is living among this family and that we are a pillar and a buttress of truth. These terms are architectural terms. A pillar is like one of those grandiose columns that they would have pictured in their mind that held up the great temples and palaces of their day. And so what Paul is saying is that the truth that we believe about Jesus is strong enough to uphold the church and certainly strong enough to uphold our lives. That you can build your life on this. That the truth of the gospel is something you can build your life on. And it's not only that, it's a buttress. That word buttress, how many have used that lately? <laughs> right, like you're not going around saying buttress. 
right? That word buttress means foundation, another architectural term. And we know that the, the height of a building, its stability is all based and predicated on its foundation. If the foundation is coming, the building won't be stable. But he says that the truth that we believe about Jesus is a foundation that's strong enough to hold up the church and your life. But there's something deeper here. By calling us a people of truth, what he is saying is that among us, this family, shouldn't be lies, shouldn't be deception, shouldn't be mistreatment. That, that, that may be named among other families, backbiting, marginalizing, mistreating, classism, sexism, racism. Think about any of the other isms. That's not us. We're a different type of family. Multi-generational, multinational, multicultural, but one family in Jesus based off of the truth that Christ is Lord and that everything he taught is true. That's who we are. But notice what he says. He says, and God is living among us. Let me give you an example of what I think he's getting at here. How many have ever experienced this before? Your house is a mess. And then somebody calls you and says, hey, I'm around the corner. I'll be there in a minute. Anybody ever experienced that before? You're like, you be where in a minute? <laughs> right? Now, the only thing good about those anxiety-inducing moments is that you do this quick cleanup of your house, right? Anybody ever experienced this? All the dirty clothes get thrown in the laundry room where they should have been in the first place. Dishes get quickly thrown into the dishwasher. You, you uh, clean off the clutter on the counters. You light a candle, all to trick the person into thinking that that's how the house looked from the very beginning. Anybody ever been there before? Tell the truth and shame the devil, Right? <laughs> This is, this is how we live, right? Isn't it amazing the difference that it makes on our lives when we know somebody's watching? This is what Paul is saying, is that the eyes of the Lord is on his church, his household. God is living and he's looking at his household and what he's most interested in is in how we treat one another. Amen? Are we treating each other as family? But this truth, and this is where I'm out of time, but let me just say this. This truth to Paul is not subjective, it is objective. Now we live in a culture that only permits us to believe in subjective truth. Now what is subjective truth? It's the thought that you got your truth, I got my truth, and as long as we don't try to impose that on each other, we're good. But there's no such thing as the truth that is binding on all people. Paul says, no, the gospel is not that way. The gospel is not some little T-truth. It's a big T-truth that's binding on all humanity. The fact that Jesus is Lord is true for everybody. And everybody's invited into relationship with him. And so therefore, we must spread the truth of Jesus. And so in verse number 16, he goes into this this, this hymn, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in the glory. He gives his little hymn 
the summation of the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord. Heaven affirms it. Angels proclaimed it. He came in the flesh. He rose from the dead. He lives even now. He is to be praised. And if you have put your faith and trust in him, then you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a spiritual family built on truth, spreading the good news that Christ has come and salvation is available to all who believe. How many praise God for that truth? Amen. With these sermons, this series, I don't want you just to hear from me, but I want you to hear from people who have chosen to say yes to the church, not just once, but again and again and again. And so I want to invite up Barb. Barb is a member, a beloved member of our production team. If you don't realize that your life has been blessed by Barb, she's typically in that booth and she's a part of the group of people that make sure that I'm on time when I end. Church said, amen. She's not always successful in keeping me on time, but she tries her best. Uh, but Barb is such a blessing. I wanted her to just share a little bit about Barb. How long have you been a part of the church? I believe it's been 38 years. 38 years. How many think that's awesome? <laughs> Barb, um, I appreciate you so much, but I just want you to share. Why did you say yes to the church? And why, after all these years, do you still say, yeah, I believe church is God's plan? You've been talking about it all morning in your message because it's family. And for me, it really has become family as I've been connected. And so as I've been in ministries from the beginning of when I've been here, each one as I've connected has become family to me. You and I were having a conversation on Christmas Eve because I said how important it was to me that we were having church on Christmas morning. I wanted to be here with my family. Yeah. And you know, and if you're looking for a place to get plugged in, there are so many and that you can have that feeling of family. Production always needs people. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be recruitment too. That's good. <laughs> Why not? That's good. That's good. So Barb, there's some people who might be sitting here and maybe they're struggling with the question, church, why bother? What would you say to them? We all need to be family. We all need to be a part of the family, whether it's a physical family that we're part of it or the church family. And this is a place that you can come and you can be family. And I found that the more you invest in the ministries of the church, the more God gives you the time to do that. It's not a, oh, I don't have time. It's like he gives you that time. And it just fills my heart. Well, you've been a blessing to us and... um and, and I just want you to know that what Barb is sharing is sincerely her heart, not scripted, but her heart. And so let me just say, over the next several weeks, what my hope and prayer would be for you who are disconnected is that you would start this year off by getting connected. Now, at 11.30 in room 179, right down the hall from the cafe, um, every week throughout this month, we're going to have what we call next steps. And what Next Steps is, is an opportunity for you to kind of ask your questions about the church, to get to know us a little bit more, to process through. And I hope whether or not this is your first time visiting or you've been visiting for a decade, I hope you'll check it out. And I hope that you really will understand that church is a family and God wants you to be a part of it. Amen?
Let's pray together, and then we're going to close in the song of worship. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we really can call you Abba, uh, Daddy, and that we can have access to you because of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you allow us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray that today that someone who maybe feels far off can sense that you are near. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us.